So in the late evening, night, uh, right before midnight on Sunday, April 14th, 1912, there was a ship that was making its way from England to New York. It was four days into this transatlantic voyage. There was a young man by the name of John Harper aboard this ship. He was a preacher from Scotland. Many years before he had been saved and became a follower of Jesus Christ. This happened when he was 14 years old and he felt called to go into the ministry at the age of 18. He was an excellent communicator and very anointed preacher and his church grew from a few dozen people to over 500. As the years passed, he married a young woman by the name of Annie and they had a child. But five days after giving birth to Annie, or five days after Annie died five days after giving birth to a little baby girl. She, do, she passed away due to complications during childbirth. This man, John, would name his little daughter, Annie, in the memory of her mother. His wife's niece came to live with them to help raise little Annie. Now, as all three of them had boarded the ship for the voyage to New York, little Annie was six years old. The ship's name was the Titanic. See, three months prior, John had come to the United States and spent some days in Chicago at the famous Moody Church, named after Dwight L. Moody. The meetings had been so successful and had gone so well, and the Holy Spirit was so evident in power that they had asked John to come back this April. In fact, he was supposed to actually take the position of pastor at Moody Church, which had recently become vacant. Late that evening on April 14th, as we all know, the Titanic struck an iceberg. It took over two hours and 40 minutes for the ship to sink. John Harper perished that night and in the early morning of April 15th. His daughter Annie and his niece Jesse would be spared. They had been safely put on a life raft with other women and children. But here's some interesting facts about this story. Before the ship sank, people were not panicking Initially, because they were all being told that the Titanic wouldn't sink. Everything would be all right. It was unsinkable. John had made a fateful choice. See, he could have made the voyage a week earlier on another ship called the Lusitania. But instead, he waited to sail on the maiden voyage of the Titanic one, one week later. He did, <clears throat> John did not spend the last three hours of his life thinking about that though about the decision that he could have made that would have spared them he spent those hours desperately preaching and pleading for everyone who would listen to believe on the lord jesus christ and to get right with god before they perished see he gathered people together on the open deck to pray and eyewitnesses say that with holy joy on his face he knelt down, put his hands in the air, and cried out to God. He is also credited with asking the orchestra to play the song, Near My God to Thee, as the ship began to sink. John ended up in the water with hundreds of others, and as the frigid water temperatures began to sap the life out of him, he clung to some debris and he swam from person to person, asking them if they had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
there were only seven. Seven people that were plucked from the water that night that survived. One of them was a man by the name of Aguila Webb. Four years after the tragedy of the Titanic, Mr. Webb shared his story at a survivor's meeting in Hamilton, Canada. I want to read you a statement for Mr. Webb, who was most likely the last person that John Harper spoke to before he entered into eternity. This is what he said. I am a survivor of the Titanic when I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night. Okay, he's from Scotland, and they use words that we don't use, but you get the drift. The tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow also on a piece of wreck near me. Men, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou will be saved. Thou shalt be saved. The waves caused him to be moved away, and, but strangely enough, a little while later, he came floating back. And John said, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after he said this, he sank below the surface. And there alone in the night and with two miles of water under me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. John Harper was 39 years old. What an incredible story. No doubt when John's body sank below the surface and into the depths of the icy cold tomb, his spirit separated from his body and ascended and he was met into eternity with the warmth and light and the outstretched arms of Jesus. See, today's message is entitled, Holy, Holy, Holy. This is obviously three different words with three different completely unrelated meanings. It's also a play on the scripture out of Isaiah, where Isaiah is describing the scene in heaven where he sees the seraphim and the angelic beings flying back and forth, and they're saying to each other, holy, 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 as they see the majesticness of God, the sovereignty of God, the beautiful majesty of God. The first holy at the top there, I had to make sure it was the right one. This means being full or whole, like the whole pie. Or in this case, the vernacular usage, vernacular usage would mean fully or completely as synonyms. For example, the man was committed wholly to eating vegetarian, meaning all the food he ate or his complete diet was vegetarian. The second meaning, holy, literally means something or an object that has holes in it. How many own a pair of holy jeans? Probably paid a lot more money than you should have for a pair of holy jeans. I just gave you the example. As she bought, uh, as in the sentence, she bought a pair of designer holy jeans. Number three, holy, as we know it scripturally, is pertaining to the things of God, which there are a few descriptions and definitions that I'm going to elaborate on. The word holy or holiness in the Old Testament is Kadesh. 
the Hebrew word, it speaks to the absoluteness of God, God's majesty. It refers many times to his Godhead. The word holy in Hebrew also spoke to his divine, his divinity, his supreme divinity. Holiness in the Old Testament, for the most part, is external. Different types of holiness, one would be, we're very familiar with, would be ceremonial, like in, in order to, they had to present themselves in holiness, like so the priests would have to do certain things, and sometimes the children of Israel, God would say, consecrate yourself, right? Do some certain things to make yourself more holy, right? So there, it was, there was actions that they would take, and there was a list of things that, that they were to do to be more holy. There's also uh, uh, what we would say, I said ceremonial, so there's also ethical and spiritual or a combination of the three. In the Old Testament, you can read about the places where it talks about holiness, whether it was pertaining to God or something that you were to do. Many times it would talk about the ceremonial, but it would be also more ex external talking about something ethical, like if you wanted to be more holy, you had to follow these rules. There's a list of things to do. How many know the Ten Commandments, right? You follow the Ten Commandments, you're more holy, right? It would be an expression of holiness. And also spiritual and, or a combination of the three. Many times as it would explain in the Old Testament, this word when you would see this Kadesh, it would be maybe a combination of the three. In the New Testament, though, for the most part, the external holiness that the Old Testament refers to is gone. And the emphasis is placed on the internal holiness. You look up holiness in the New Testament scriptures. Predominantly, it's talking about a holiness. And the word holy, and I'll t give you the, 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 the root word for it in the Greek in a second. But it is talking about something that's internal. It's not external. It comes from the inside out. I thought you were coming up to play already. I'm like, man, I just got started, bro. <laughs> this internal holiness would emanate from one's heart and thus eventually be evident externally, literally being holy from the inside out. This is the New Testament. So, for example, it would be like this. If I had a car, say I bought a new car. I say, hey, man, check out my new car. And I would tell you, man, and you would look at me, man, that's a cool car. Maybe it's a truck. I like trucks, right? Look at my new truck. But then eventually, if I'm really interested in your car or your truck, we're going to come around to the place where I ask you some questions. And one of those questions, many times if you're a guy, would be, hey, what's under the hood? What's the baby got? How fast will it go? Right? Or, in some of y'all's cases, oh, it's a Prius. Uh, how, many, how many miles can you go before you have to fill up? If gas is $4 a gallon, that's the question to ask. 
So there's certain things that you would ask. But if I said, oh, no, that's my new truck, but I don't drive it. It doesn't got an engine. So what, you're just going to let it sit in the parking lot? Just let it sit in the driveway? Right? No. There's something about what's inside of it. It's worthless if on the outside it just looks purdy. It's just, it's just taking up space because what's inside of it and what it's capable of doing, what it was supposedly built for, is missing. That's ridiculous, right? You get a new truck and it never leaves the driveway because it doesn't run. In the same way, that's what we're talking about, the external features of holiness, right? And, and many times we get it twisted because of our whole in, our, our processing of God's word. And, 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 and we like to make it look shiny and purdy on the outside and have an expression of holiness. And it looks good until you raise the hood. Until you raise the hood and you see what's missing on the inside. useless now I would admit to you that I've had some cars in my life that have been useless right <laughs> that, that didn't run that well uh, I've had I've had some doozies some of y'all still own a car like that so what are you talking about <laughs> as my boy Bobby Page would say we gonna pray <laughs> we gonna pray 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God speaking. He says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written you shall be holy for i am holy obviously this is peter and he's writing this letter but and he's saying but you can just this you can emphasize that this is god speaking to us and he's saying peter saying the holy one called you so be holy in all your behavior because it is written you shall be holy for i am holy See, he says in, ver in the verse right before this, as obedient children, don't conform to the lust, the intense desires that were yours in your ignorance before Christ. Peter is saying, live a holy life by your holy conduct. Now, this isn't one of those exciting sounding from the beginning type of words. Oh, pastor's preaching on holiness. Yay! Right? It's hard to get excited about this at first, but this should be one of the most exciting messages. Thank you, Josh. It should be one of the most exciting messages because I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's just go. The word holy in the New Testament is almost exclusively used in the form of the Greek word hagios. 
This Greek word hagios in pretty much every place you look in the New Testament where it uses the word holy, this is the root word that you're going to see. Hagios. And it means pretty much the same as the Old Testament Hebrew word kadash. It means sacred, pure quality, void of flaws or imperfections, consecrated or set apart. But remember now it is almost exclusively talking internally, not externally. Hagios. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I love Romans. I love Paul's letter to the Romans. Man, you could spend a lifetime in Romans. If you haven't done an exclusive study on Romans and just dug out the nuggets that are in Romans, I double-dog dare you. I challenge you to do it. It will change your, it will change your perspective. It will change your, your understanding of Scripture. It will change your relationship with God. I promise you. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says this. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. This is the same root word in this scripture that is this root word of hagios. See, in Romans 6, 19, at the very end there, he says, you're, you're, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. That word sanctification is, you guessed it, hagios. Right? It's the same meaning. It's the same word as holy, that they would use for holy. In fact, some translations translate it as sanctification, and some translate it as holy or holiness. Are you tracking with me? So sanctification and holiness are the same thing. It's the same root word. They're interchangeable. Sanctification is a fancy word and is misunderstood sometimes. It can be literally described as a working out of your salvation. Meaning, it is going to take some work on your part and on my part to walk out a holy, to live a holy life. It's going to require something of you. See, there's certain things about the kingdom of heaven. One is that salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. And there's certain other things that are gifts from God. You can't earn, earn it. But when it comes to holiness, guess what? The ball's in your court. The ball's in my court. I want to take a couple of minutes right now and, and talk to you about the difference between righteousness and holiness. Because in the church, maybe you're a scholar, maybe you know, maybe you have a full understanding. But in case there's a couple of folks in here that don't, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the difference between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness versus holiness. My righteousness is a yes, no. What is it? 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that God made he who had no sin, meaning Jesus, 
to be sin for us, right? He, he, took, on the, he took on our sin. He says he made that so that we could be, become the righteousness of God through him, right? I didn't even have that written down, so I'm, I'm going off memory. I hope I didn't screw that up. Pretty sure that's what it says. You can double dog, I mean, you can double check me. He who had no sin, he made sin so that we could be made righteous through Christ. Righteousness is a yes, no. There are no degrees of righteousness. Your righteousness is a gift. It says out of the abundance, I think in, in uh, Romans 5, the chapter before, chapter 6, it talks about that the abundance of grace and the, in the abundance of God's grace the, came the gift of righteousness. Like it's literally a gift. You can't earn righteousness. Your righteousness was given to you as a gift when you said yes to Jesus. And literally your righteousness means right standing. So before God, he, give, he gives you a gift through Jesus that says, I see you. You can stand here in right standing because of Jesus. You're righteous. When I look at you, I see Jesus. You can't earn it. You cannot earn righteousness. Your righteousness is a yes, no. You either have it or you don't. There's no degree of righteousness. However, when we get to holiness, if righteousness is yes, no, you either have it or you don't, what is holiness? Well, you can't earn holiness either, but holiness can have a degree or different levels. Holiness is something that takes action on my part. It's just not a receiving of a gift. It, it requires me to make a choice. It comes from an internal decision process called choice. I can choose to be holy. Point to your neighbor on your left and say, you can choose to be holy. Now turn to your neighbor on the right if you have one and say, you have a choice. How are these two connected? So glad you asked. Let's go back to Romans 6.19. I want you to catch this. Paul is saying, I'm using the analogy of slavery so you will understand. I want to drive this point home for you. I want you to fully grasp the weight of what I'm saying. In the scripture, it's what Paul's, I'm, I'm putting my place in Paul's place. And he's, he's like, I'm trying to drive this home for you. I want you to fully grasp the weight of what I'm saying. He says, just as you and I committed ourselves to the lawlessness of sin and living a not holy life described as impurity, which only led you to more lawlessness and impurity, he says this, I want you to commit to the gift of righteousness. I'm paraphrasing that scripture, but I'm, I'm describing what Paul is saying. He's like, I want you to commit to the gift of of righteousness. I want you to identify yourself with that righteousness. I want you to become extremely intimate with the knowledge of it. And when you do this, and you make this commitment to fully understanding your righteousness, the result will be hagios, 
hagios, holiness. When you commit to the gift of righteousness, when you fully understand what it means to be right in right standing with God and you move and, 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 and everything that you do is with that, is under that umbrella, then the result, the result of living that way with an understanding of a free gift of righteousness, that you can't earn it. When you fully understand that, then the result, what does it do? That leads you somewhere. And the scripture says in verse 16, uh, I mean in verse 19 of chapter 6, it says, it leads to holiness. It leads to holiness. So, if you think of it like this, if you have, if you're, result deficient in the holiness department is it safe to say that your understanding and your identity as righteous and the gift of righteousness is skewed maybe there's times where you you really like you're walking in it and maybe there's times where you're not and there's times where you Maybe, maybe you look at somebody that's you know, and I ain't trying to ask you to point fingers at anybody, but maybe you look at somebody and you say, whew, their life, by the fruit of it, isn't very holy. I don't see a lot of holiness there. They're believers, but, ah, right? And that's kind of strange because he's been, a, he's been saved, I think, for like 30 years. I don't know, Right? So what I'm saying, and maybe, maybe that spotlight goes on yourself, and you, and you think, man, for as long as I've known the Lord, there should be a little more external stuff that came from the internal stuff that shows up in my life. There should be, I should be, uh, uh, the fruit of holiness should be evident in my life, and it's just not there. Well, let me tell you something. If righteousness, your understanding of righteousness leads to holiness, if you just backtrack a little bit, that means what? That your understanding of righteousness is a little skewed. Maybe you, maybe you just, maybe your mind, maybe you just, you talked yourself out of righteousness. Maybe you put a, a degree on it. Maybe you, maybe you said, well, my righteousness in Christ is not as good as John's righteousness in Christ. And it's based on my actions. Because I, my biggest judge and my biggest critic, and I know where I fail the most. So how could God love me as much as he loves John? The problem is, you're basing it on something. You're basing it on a grid that God doesn't use. He looks at you through Christ, and he says, son, daughter, righteous. He doesn't say, uh... Isaac, what did you, what, that thought you had 10 minutes ago? Yeah, let's talk about that. You're not righteous before me right now. God doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't judge your, your sin and where you, your weakness. He says, oh, you're in right standing with me because of Jesus, righteous. It's, it's yes, no. So if your holiness isn't being walked out, if it's not evident, then you don't see yourself in that righteousness the same way that God does. Hagios, holiness. 
Paul is saying to the degree that to the degree that you walk in to the degree that, to the, the bah, to the degree that you understand fully the gift of righteousness righteousness will be to the degree that holiness shows up in your life this understanding leads to hagias to holiness So if your life is lacking holiness, then start by gaining a better grasp of your understanding of the gift of righteousness. It goes back to identity. So here's how it works negatively in my life. I sin, I stay in the circle of misery for days, maybe even weeks, till the condemnation and the self-loathing subsides, and I finally work up the courage to come before God and confess it. Again, just like the hundreds of times before. But it's a vicious cycle because deep down I know I will be right back in this place. It's just a matter of time. See, my understanding of the abundant grace of God, which extends to me the gift of righteousness, is skewed. I have learned to take the emotion out of it. Listen, I'm going I'm to share something with you that I have had to personally walk out. And, and, and some of you, this might sound kind of crazy. But when you have a place of weakness in your life and you keep coming before God saying God I'm here again I'm so sorry forgive me and I repent and you keep finding yourself back at that same place that same area of weakness maybe it's worry maybe it's anger whatever it is whatever keeps tripping you up here's how I got victory here's how I got victory I take the emotion out of it and that's hard for us because we're feelers, right? We feel stuff. But if you take the emotion out of the feeling of sorrowfulness and all of those negative things that about yourself and the judgmental emotion out of it, here's the thing. Your right standing with God never changes. No matter if you keep coming back here and asking forgiveness, your right standing with God through Christ is established so get back to that right standing to the view to the right understanding of your righteousness as quickly as you can what that means is if you if if i'm if my hang up is anger and my wife better not say amen and i get lord i just lost my temper again and i just oh I just lord i'm so sorry I don't dwell on it. I don't do the thing that I used to do, which is go just hide in a hole for a few days and feel sorry for myself and, and feel and judging myself and like this self-loathing, like I just, I'm just a piece of, you know what? And then eventually life goes on and a couple weeks later, I'm like, here I am, Lord. And you're kind of like, I'm back in your presence and I feel better about myself now. And it's just a cycle that repeats itself. No. And it almost seems like bipolar to do this because you take the emotion out of it. And as soon as you mess up and you realize, oh, I'm here. Lord, I thank you that I'm in right standing with you. No matter how I feel right now, I know that you forgive me seven times 70. And I just ask your forgiveness and I just thank you that I'm the righteousness of you through Jesus that I'm in right standing with you, that when you look at me, you don't see this mess. And your word says that I'm a son. And your word says that I'm a daughter. 
and you get back to that place of righteousness. You get back to that place where you stand on your righteousness. You understand that it is your righteousness through Christ gives you right standing with God. And because of that, guess what the result is? When you, when you point back to your righteousness and you fully understand the identity in your righteousness, guess what happens? When you don't wait weeks or days or even hours to come back to the place of being righteous before God, guess what happens? Hagios. Holiness begins to come, and you get a little better in that area. You get a little stronger in that area. Those places that used to trip you up become stronger. And now, and God is so good because he takes it and he flips it. And if I, I'm telling you, it works, it's, it's scriptural, it's the word. And when you do that, and when you submit that junk before the righteousness of God, the gift of righteousness and his abundant grace, that thing that used to be your weakness in God becomes a strength. It becomes a strength. It becomes one of the most strongest places of your heart. And guess what? That means I get to go to my brother who I see struggling in the same area and go, man, I used to be right where you're at. But because of the grace of God that led me to an understanding of his righteousness and my right standing with him, it's led me to a place of holiness, of hagias in my life. And you can see the fruit of it. You can see the fruit of it in my life. It might take you a few times doing this before you feel a shift, but I promise you it will come. That weak area starts to get callous and strengthened, and over time you'll get to a point where it doesn't trip you up anymore, and it becomes a place of strength. Holiness literally takes root, and then my life begins to display more consistently the attributes of God. Literally, this is what happens. You, ever, you guys notice, you know this. When you're around somebody, when you're around somebody and you just... When you leave their presence, you're like, oh, man, I could, I could hang out with that person all day. I don't know what it is, but there's something about that person that just is uplifting. And maybe you can put a finger on it. Maybe you can't. But then there's other people here around you like. <sighs> and it's really like a fragrance. It's like, it's like when you're around them, it's like, man, it just smells. You smell good. I don't recommend you say that to people. But there's just a fragrance that they give off. Like, and, 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 and it's tangible. Like, man, I can, you smell like God. The holiness gives off a fragrance off their life. And then if you don't, if there's people that don't have that fragrance, it's like, you're giving off a fragrance, all right. You got to get out of here. No, seriously. Because it stinks. Because there's some things that are decaying and dead. And we all have it. We all have it. We all have those places. Holiness begins to take root. My life begins to display more consistently the attributes of God. The very fragrance of God is evident externally on me, coming from the internal fruits of the Spirit become visibly evident. Love, joy, peace, self-control, slow to anger. What is it about fruit? In your life. Fruit is something that grows. It started out as the seed. And you might only have one lemon on your lemon tree. But the next season you might have five. And the one after that, ten. And the one after that, forty. And it exponentially grows. 
in that area of your life. You will, and once you begin to have the fruit of hagias, the fruit of holiness in your life, you begin to get strengthened in that area and people begin to notice, hey, Mike's got some fruit and it smells good. They like being around him because he's giving off the fruit. Exclusively in the New Testament, almost exclusively, the attributes of God's holiness are attributed to the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means you don't have to do it alone. That means that Jesus, I mean, God has set you up. He set you up through the abundance of grace. Christ came. He made you the righteousness of God. He gave you right standing to where your identity is in him through Christ. It doesn't change. It's a yes, no. You either have it or you don't. You're either right before God or you're not, and it doesn't change, right? But through that, this holiness. But the hagias, the holiness, the, when, when it uses that word a lot of times in the Old Testament, when it's, when it's talking about God, it's the same word, and it's almost exclusively attributed to the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that the very attributes of God, the very hagios, the very holiness of God is living on the inside of you, internal, and is waiting to bear fruit and come out externally. Hallelujah. That's good news this morning, church. That's good news. When I read the story earlier about John Harper, he perished literally leading others to Christ until his last breath. Some would say, if I were in the same situation, I can't say that I would act the same. I, I got to be honest with you. I've seen the movie Titanic. I mean, <laughs> I've seen like uh, the documentaries on like recreating them, man. I'm, and I'm like, I mean, you kind of put yourself there, right? I mean, I think human nature says like, whew, man, if I was a, what would I do? And, 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 and I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but some of you uh, would, would admit, bro, I'm jumping off that thing, and I'm going to cling to a life raft. I'm making room for me in the life raft, right? <laughs> like, who, who, and there was some of that. So every person on that ship had to make a decision. And I tried to put myself in this young man's life. And he chose, he had seen his wife die, and he had a six-year-old daughter on board. And, and literally, uh, the, 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 the details of that story is he handed her off. Trusting that the crewmate was going to the crewmate of the ship was going to make sure she got onto a raft, and then he left her. He left her because he identified right away the gravity of the situation, and he's saying there's some people that are probably going to perish tonight, and I want to make sure that we enter into eternity together. I want to make sure that this person standing next to me, this multitude before me who are freaking out because now the ship is going down. I want to make sure that when in a few minutes when we go step onto the other side of eternity, that they're with me. And he spent three hours. Now, that's, that's a decision right there. It's one thing in the heat of the moment. You've got, you got 10 seconds to live. Hey, brother, get saved. We're, gonna, we're about to die. But he literally determined for the next three hours he didn't know it was going to be three hours but it ended up being about three hours before he passed away 200 two hours and 40 minutes before the ship sank and he was in the water 
for the time after that. He had to make a decision. And many of us would say, that John guy was holy. His life was holy. He just made a decision. He tapped into the internal holiness of the Holy Spirit within inside of him. And he said, I don't care about my life right now. Because I know where I'm going to be. I know where I'm going to be in a few minutes. I know where I'm going to be. And when I reach the other side, I want to see that sinner that didn't know Jesus there with me. And I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to ask him over and over again. Man, have you accepted 